This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm Stephen Igo, the host, the publisher of HoistTheColors.net. Excited to bring you another fresh edition of the podcast. Not excited to talk about what transpired exactly on the Clark LeClaire Stadium turf, the Louisville turf this past weekend inside Clark LeClaire Stadium, I should say, as East Carolina pretty surprisingly, shockingly, um, rather astounding that they suffer a home sweep against the Bryant Bulldogs, a place ECU went 29-4 and a season ago. They were dominant at home. They've been dominant at home under Cliff Goblin, and the Pirates start out 0-3 against Bryant. And again, we talked about it going into the series. Bryant is no slouch. They are a perennial championship contender in the Northeast Conference. Basically, for them, they're in a one-bid league, so it comes down to whether they win their conference tournament or not, which is is dumb in baseball, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, So they're a regional caliber team, and they showed why this weekend. They weren't scared. And we saw a team in East Carolina that we'll get into a lot of this with the Carson Wizen Hunt situation, I think just seemed kind of shell-shocked once they got punched in the mouth and didn't really know how to respond for the most part throughout the weekend and once Bryant got that confidence that swagger from Friday night's win I think it just kind of carried throughout the weekend and I thought they overperformed to an extent played better as a result and I thought ECU pressed and underperformed as a result of kind of the the events of this weekend so tough weekend for ECU we're going to go through each individual game kind of break down the positives the negatives we've got some questions on the Twitter sphere of course uh, Greenville is is burning down according to half uh, I shouldn't say half but according to some ECU fans two to a three game series sweep I'll just say this right off the bat and I wrote an in-depth column for our subscribers on Hoist of Colors that you can check out it's kind of breaking down the reasons I think we saw what we saw this past weekend you know, I, I watch a ton of baseball. Um, you know, I grew up playing the sport. Probably the, the sport I know the most about that I cover. Not that I'm an expert by far, and I certainly don't know as much as the guys playing and the, the people that are coaching. But, you know, I've never been one to overreact to a small sample size. Certainly there are red flags when you get swept at home. But we have to remember, we have to keep this in perspective. This is three games out of 56 it gets magnified because it's at the beginning of the season you know if this happens in the middle of the year certainly it's it's a big deal getting swept at home but it's not as magnified because it doesn't happen right out of the gate you just chalk it up oh they had a bad weekend 
and you know they'll bounce back. So right now we we don't know though what this team is all about. So there's genuine and natural concern saying, hey, is this ECU team legitimately overrated, or maybe they just had a bad weekend out of the gate? I tend to think that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I think the rankings of top 10, top 15 were a little much. Um, and then you take Carson Wisenhunt out of the equation, a potential first-round pick. I think it's a borderline top 25 team on paper. I think they have talent. I think there's still plenty of opportunity for this team to respond starting this week. The good thing about having a, a very difficult schedule is you have the chance to erase a bad series loss in the span of one week. If you go out and have a 3 and one week this week, Nobody is even talking about the Bryant series uh, at that time. So still a ton to play for, and, you know, this team can bounce back. Will they is a whole other question, but, you know, the season is not over because ECU lost three games in a row to, to open the season. Certainly it's it's massively disappointment. Certainly it should be a reality check for this baseball team and, and for the fan base um, that this is not going to be, an, you know, a dominant – easy year maybe like we've seen the past couple of years in terms of the Pirates just roll the ball out there and, and win just based on talent and experience alone. There are going to be some growing pains with this team and it's clear that we're going to experience them at the least early in the season maybe throughout the season as this uh, this group of Pirates tries to find its way. So let's dive into uh, each of these games. We'll start first with the Friday game against Bryant and again Carson Wisenhunt Unavailable. We talked about it briefly last week on the podcast, but um, unavailable due to suspension. He will also not pitch this coming week. We still have not gotten any confirmed clarity on the situation. What I can tell you is there are all sorts of rumors going around about a failed drug test. Look, it's out there. I'm not going to beat around the bush. Um, there's a rumor out there that it is related to performance enhancing drugs. Again, that is an unconfirmed rumor, but it's, I mean, everybody you talk to, um, seems to have heard that rumor. So it's out there. ECU to this point as of Monday afternoon has not done anything as far as, you know, addressing it or quelling the rumor. Um, and you know, all we do know is that Carson Wisenhunt will also not be available this week per a question asked to coach Goblin at at yesterday's press conference. So uh, my hunch is once they have clarity on the situation in terms of whether Wisenhunt will remain on the team, be removed from the team, return from suspension, then they'll make an announcement. But as of now, uh, he, he's not, you know, he uh, he's not with the team actively, and he will not be this week. So we can only take the team at its word. But certainly there are rumors out there, and I think that that does have. You know something to do with this this past weekend's performance um like i wrote in my column even though that the company lines gonna be you know we didn't lose this series or we didn't lose this game because the carson wasn't hunt but trust me it, it has a trickle down effect and you know i think it's a legitimate um reason for the opening series i think going forward ECU has to find a way to move on as a team obviously and move forward as if they're not going to have carson was hunt at all this season because that's you know, that seems to be a potential reality, and if they can't get over that, then they're not going to have the season uh, that anybody wants them to have. So um, I think it was a gut punch. You can't have that happen on opening weekend just days before the season opener and expect it to not affect the team. It's just natural. It's human human, um, human instinct, human reactions. So uh, I, I think it definitely played a role in kind of the team's psyche on opening weekend. So the Pirates head into the opener against Bryant. Garrett Saylor got the start. I thought, honestly, he did not pitch that bad. 
Um, he goes four innings, charged with four runs, two walks, five strikeouts. His breaking stuff was working well. He had a good changeup. And he said himself after the game that his fastball that he worked so hard on this offseason just was not working in terms of he's been working on a sinker all offseason and all of a sudden it was cutting on opening day under the lights. So that's not ideal when your, your sinker is cutting. So he didn't really have good control of it. By the time he got control over it, uh, then Bryant got a few CNI singles. In the fourth, I believe, his day was done. They brought in Nick Logish, and unfortunately, both uh, inherited runners scored and were charged to Sailor. So I thought Sailor pitched better than what his line suggested. And I think if he can get his fastball under control, ECU has something there in a weekend starter in Sailor. Um, the Pirates end up going to seven relievers out of the pen. Nick Logish, Ben Terwilliger, Danny Bill, Trey Savage, Ryder Giles, Jordan Little, Wyatt Lunsford Shinkman. So four of those guys were newcomers to Williger, Savage, Little, and Shinkman all were making their debuts. I thought Terwilliger looked the best in the in the opener. He goes one and two thirds, four Ks, uh, showed some good secondary stuff. Uh, Savage really struggled with his command, three walks, two wild pitches, allowed two inherited runners to score, and then also Jordan Little Gave up a couple of hits, and then uh, Wyatt Lunsford-Shinkman, two freshmen at the end of the game, getting their first opportunities. I thought they looked a little, um, I don't want to say overwhelmed, but certainly a little nervous, which that's why you put them in that situation when the game's not on the line. So it was not a good pitching night for ECU. Seven walks, two wild pitches. You know, decent number of strikeouts, 11Ks, so you can see the stuff is there, but too many walks, too many free passes, gave up 11 hits as well. Bryant had a great approach. Pesky, two-strike hitting, foul balls. They just did a good job uh, and really blew that game open in the middle to late innings. Offensively, it was a struggle. You know, Richmond transfer Colin Lowe for Bryant didn't really do anything crazy, but ECU just struggled with with good contact. They didn't have tough at-bats, a lot of weak contact, a lot of soft rollover, ground outs, a lot of um, pop-ups, just not a lot of competitive at-bats, which Cliff Goblin said after the game. I thought the at-bats were better on Saturday and Sunday, which we'll talk about, but still not good enough. Um, you know, it's not like he was out there throwing 93-94. I mean, he was mainly 87-89. to 89. You know, decent secondary stuff, but none of the arms ECU saw this weekend are, are really AAC caliber arms outside of maybe one or two, so it was just a, a tough, tough weekend offensively. Uh, no matter which way you slice it. So basically that was it. I mean, Bryant hit a two-run homer in the second off Garrett Saylor, and ECU never really recovered. You know, they threatened in the first with a leadoff triple or a one-out triple from Carter Cunningham. Couldn't score him. Um, it was a tough weekend at the plate for Josh Moylan, and that kind of continued as he struck out in the first, I believe, failed to get the runner in, and then that kind of continued throughout the weekend. So uh, I thought that the middle of the order for ECU really did a poor job uh, for the most part all weekend, starting with the opener. So Bryant took the opener 10-2. to I think at that point everybody was kind of on edge a little bit, but expecting ECU to bounce back uh, the following few days. So we move into Saturday's game. East Carolina ends up striking first with an Alec Makarevich single. I thought Alec had a really good weekend. At the plates, uh, offensively looked calm and composed. Most of his at-bats had some good at-bats, tough at-bats. Uh, Bryant ends up coming back, scoring a run 
on uh, a, a Ryder Giles throwing error. It would be a, a day to forget for Ryder Giles on Saturday. That tied the game at 1-1, one to one, and it stayed there until ECU took a lead in the six on Bryson World's sacrifice fly. And at that point, ECU took a 2-1 to one lead. Jake Kuchmaner was in line for the win, and we have to talk about Saturday's game as one of the major positives of the weekend was Jake Kuchmaner's performance. Again, we're talking about a fifth-year senior, a guy you really need to step forward, step up, especially coming off a loss. Kuchmaner did everything in his power to help this team respond, so I thought that was an, an awesome sign as one of your few seniors on the team. He goes six innings, four hits, one run, again, unearned, one walk, and eight strikeouts. Kuchmaner last year had 16 appearances. He gave up at least one earned run in 15 of those appearances. So Kuchmaner off to a really good start this year. His velocity was a little up. 87 to 88 consistently in the past he's been more 84 to 86 he was commanding his fastball to both sides of the plate he was throwing his change up and breaking ball for strikes honestly i mean it was uh it was vintage cooch he was working ahead he was working quick he had a pickoff like it was the ideal outing from cooch manor so i thought that was one of the biggest positives of the weekend something to really build on for ecu's rotation going forward so you turn the ball over to cj mayhew with a run run lead he has a clean seventh inning. You add another run with a uh, a three to. You add another run with Agno single to make it three to one in the seventh. And you're feeling good. You got C.J. Mayhew on the mound. He's your closer. Um, and then all of a sudden, in the top of the eighth, for whatever reason, by the way, the the worst home plate umpiring I've seen in a while. Uh, the number nine hitter to lead off that inning felt like there were two to three strikes that could have gone C.J. Mayhew's way. They did not. Allen, the number nine hitter in that game, Logan Allen ends up walking. Boom, next pitch against Bryant's best hitter, Matt Woods. He triples down the line, and that changes the complete complexion of the game. Makes it a 3-2 game, runner at third, nobody out. Uh, so that walk, I thought, almost turned the, the game around. ECU could not overcome it. Mayhew almost gets out of the jam, gets two outs, and then has a breaking ball or changeup slip out of his hand with two outs to tie the game at 3-3. Three to three. Uh, the Pirates, of course, in the bottom of the eighth, fail to take uh, take the lead back, and then in the bottom of the ninth, don't do much either, as uh, as they only get one man on via a walk. And then in the tenth, the Pirates go to the bullpen. They bring in Skylar Brooks, and similar situation to where he looks like he's about to get out of a jam, gives up a one out double. Then Bryson Worrell makes a tremendous throw home as the following batter singles in the center field to keep the game tied at 3-3. So you have a runner on second with two outs. Batter hits a pretty routine ball to shortstop. Ryder Drow short, short hops it to first base. Cunningham can't make the scoop. And the go-ahead run scores. The next batter doubles to make it 5-3. And both runs were unearned due to the Giles error, his second of the game. So a play that Giles has to make. He'll tell you that. The coaching staff will tell you that. Uh, he's normally a shorthanded shortstop, and throw just got away from it. Two times in one game that he uh, could not make the throw. In the bottom of the tent, that extra run ended up being critical. Makarevich homered, of course, with uh, with two with one out. Excuse me, in the bottom of the tenth, and that ended up being uh, the final tally, five to four. So, of course, we got to go back to the ninth inning. You know I couldn't skip over it entirely. We talked about it 
that they only got a runner on via walk, when in reality the game should have ended with a walk-off home run. Justin Wilcoxon in the bottom of the ninth, first pitch. I, I can't remember if it was first pitch or not. It may have been a 1-0 pitch, a 1 pitch. Um, hit an absolute bomb to right field, fair ball, and he's rounding the bases. You know, once he gets the first and rounds first, I, I noticed that, you know, the, the the Bryant first baseman, the Bryant head coach, the Bryant right, or, uh, right fielder, they were all saying that time had been called. They're all holding their hands up like time had been called. Meanwhile, ECU gathers at home plate. They're celebrating. Wilcoxon gives a, uh, a high five to Cliff Cobbin as he rounds third. They're doing the Gatorade thing or spraying water all over each other like they just won the game. And, and instead, the, the determination was made that the first base umpire, Mac Stokes, again, I've, I've met Mac on a few occasions. He's a Greenville guy. He, he works ECU basketball games. Great guy. Just had the absolute worst blunder at the wrong moment. Called time, apparently because he could not see. I don't know if a glare got into his eyes or a piece of dirt or what, but he called time with nobody on base, which should not happen. For whatever reason, he did and blew the play dead. But my thing is, if he could not see, how does he know that the pitch had not already been thrown, and therefore if the pitch had already been thrown, the the play should have counted. The the actual pitch, him calling time had no effect on the actual pitch and the at bat result. Made no difference on Wilcoxon hitting a homer. If you go back and watch the replay, the pitcher never heard time. He threw the ball home. Wilcoxon never heard time. He hit the ball out. The only person that heard time was the first baseman. It ended up having no impact on the play. The home plate umpire should have never granted time to the first base umpire in that situation as it had no impact on the play. And so it was just highly unfortunate that that ended up costing ECU a potential walk-off win. People can say what they want to. Hey, that you know that should not have determined the outcome of the game. ECU should not have been in that situation. Look, guys, you you can't have a walk-off home run taken away from you and not feel the the gut punch of that, the adversity of that. So um, that was a blow. That was a blow again to the team psyche. We talked about the Wizen Hunt situation earlier. That was another one. You can't have a a first-year starter and Will Coxon hit the first home run of his career. Huge moment for him personally. Huge moment for the team. You're about to get your first win. It's a new team. This team needs to know how to win uh, baseball games. That doesn't just happen automatically by putting on the ECU jersey. And to have that ripped away from you, that's that's painful. And I think that kind of carries over into the next inning with the Giles era, with the double after Giles era allowed. So uh, the, the mental aspect of this weekend, I thought – weigh just as much on ECU as the physical you know baseball is a very mental game if you get in your own head you can really start to struggle in multiple areas I thought that happened to ECU this weekend Um, and also the bad luck I mean what are the odds that the first base umpire can't see at the exact moment you're hitting a walk-off home run I mean if that's not the baseball gods screwing you over at the worst possible time I don't know what is Um, so that was just incredibly bad luck you had several CNI singles in this game and on Sunday for Bryant that found holes. You had several hard-hit balls by ECU that, that went right to Bryant players. So it was a combination, I think, of bad luck, poor execution, mental side of things, just all of it adding up to a, a tough, tough loss to swallow. Five to four, ECU goes down 
on Saturday and obviously one of the more controversial innings you ever see with the walk-off home run essentially being called back after an umpire gathering. Cliff Goblin was tossed, understandably so. I don't think many um, um, many managers would have kept their cool in that situation, so a tough loss for ECU on Saturday. All right, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll dive into the Sunday series finale, what went wrong in that game, and also then we'll answer your questions on the Twitter sphere that we got for this podcast. We'll be right back. You're listening to Hoist of Colors. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, welcome back into the Hoist of Colors podcast. We continue with our series breakdown as the Bryant Bulldogs sweep ECU inside Clark Clare Stadium. The first sweep ECU has suffered at home. The first series loss ECU has suffered at home since Houston in 2018 as the Pirates got swept in that series in conference play. So you go into Sunday. Cliff Goblin said after Saturday's game, hey, we have our backs against the wall for the first time this early in the season. For a long time and I thought ECU would respond in a positive manner I thought they did have tougher at bats I thought that they you know played better for the most part certainly played better defense we'll get into uh, the inability to block a ball at a, a key time late in the game but I thought overall played some good defense Josh Moylan made some nice plays at first Agnos made a couple good plays in the field I think Giles made a good play in the field as well you had Bryson Worrell and Hoover with some good plays in the outfield. So it was a much better defensive day. Offensively, I thought they had better at-bats, drew a ton of walks, nine hits. So they, they were more patient. They made better better contact. But the issue in this game was the inability to get that big, timely hit. You know, you have the third inning where Josh Moylan walks with the bases loaded and nobody out. So... You have a situation where Moylan forces in the, the the tie and run in the third end, making a 1-1 game. And then Alec Magarevich, after the walk, goes up swinging, foul ball, foul ball, swinging strikes. So he goes down for the first out. And then Ryder Giles grounds into an inning-inning double play with the bases loaded. Again, Giles went 0-9 for 9 at the plate in the weekend. Had some tough luck. That ball in particular was stung right at third baseman, which allows Bryant to go around the horn for a 5-4-3 double play. So that kept the score tied at 1-1. One one. But again, a bases loaded situation, nobody out that you get one run in from a walk. So the inability to get the big hit there. In the bottom of the fourth, East Carolina again loads the bases in a 1-1 one one game. Uh, via two singles and a hit by pitch, but Bryson Worrell swings at the second pitch in a 1-0 count and grounds out 
four force out. So a second inning in a row, you lead the bases loaded. Later in the contest, after Bryant took a 3-1 to lead, the Pirates, to their credit, rallied back in the seventh, Did some uh, had some really good at-bats in that inning, ended up tying the game on Carter Cunningham's bases loaded walk with two outs, patient at-bat, which was good to see. But you also had the batter before that, Jacob Jenkins Coward, a freshman strikeout swinging on a pitch that was probably ball three. And then Joey Barini, after a pitch and change, swings at the first pitch and pops out to center field, again, leaving the bases loaded in a tie game in the bottom of the seventh. And then we go to the eighth inning, another missed opportunity here for ECU. Lead-off double in a 3-3 to game. You're playing at home. Have no problem with the sacrifice bunt at third base by Hoover. All you need at that point is a fly ball, a decent ground ball with the infield in, and you're taking the lead. ECU elects to try the suicide squeeze, I believe in a 1-1 count or a 1-0 count. Um, And Zach Agnos can't get it down. That ends up leading to Agnos striking out for the second out. And after a Bryson World walk, Josh Moylan, who had a rough weekend, goes down swinging against Bryant's reliever. That that left the score tied at 3-3. Again, missed opportunities with runners on base. And Bryant ends up taking the lead. On a wild pitch in the top of the ninth with two outs. Another back-breaking situation. You look like you're about to get out of the inning. You've got freshman Merritt Beaker on the mound. Ben Newton behind the plate. And yeah, it wasn't a great pitch. But if you're the catcher in that situation, runner on third, two outs, and you call for a breaking ball, you have to do everything in your power to stop that pitch. You have to know in the back of your mind, I'm going all out to stop this pitch. You know, full-on technique, knees on the ground, chest out. And it just... It was kind of a lazy swipe at the ball. Uh, didn't move his body like he was capable of. And, and you can't have that from one of your upperclassmen catchers in a big spot. Wild pitch ends up scoring. You know, we had some debate on the game thread. Was it on the pitcher? Was it on the catcher? Was it on the pitching coach for calling that pitch? Listen, if you can't have faith in your catcher and your pitcher to execute a breaking ball in a game-deciding situation, um, you know, then that's just disappointing. You you have to have faith in your catcher to block that pitch. It's not like Beaker's out there throwing 99 with a, a Rolls Chapman slider. You know you have to be able to execute in that situation. The inability to execute the small things all weekend added up, and it added up in this situation as uh, they Bryant ends up taking advantage of the wild pitch. They score the go ahead run with two outs, and they hold on for the four to three victory as Joey Barini flies out to center field with a runner on first base and two outs. Therefore, completing the sweep, completing a nightmare first weekend for East Carolina baseball. The latest polls are out, and ECU fell to number 25 in both Baseball America and D1 Baseball. And I think the reason for that is everyone everyone knows this team has talent level and upside. Just because you get swept on open a weekend does not mean you're a bad team. Does it raise questions, concerns like we talked about earlier? Yes, but it's not the end-all, be-all. Many teams have lost series or gotten swept on open a weekend that have gone on to have good seasons. So, again, concerning opening weekend, sure. Not the end of the world. Um, Looking at some of the stats, I thought some of the better performances from opening weekend, we talked about Cooch Manor earlier. We've talked about a lot of the negatives, but I thought Alec Makarevich really had a good weekend. 4-4-11, two runs scored, a home run, two RBIs. Justin Wilcox, and I thought, looked very good behind the plate. 3-for-7 at the dish. 
again, should have had the walk-off home run, also had a double. I thought he hit the ball hard several times with nothing to show for it. So I thought he was one of the stars of the weekend. Um, J- Jacob Jenkins Cowherd, we talked about the strikeout earlier, but he goes two for five as a freshman, his debut. And Lane Hoover, three for five with two run scores and three singles. So, you know, some positives for sure to take out of the weekend. Josh Groves, Carter Spivey, I thought looked good out of the bullpen. Skylar Brooks ended up giving up a couple unearned runs, but I thought his stuff looked better. Um, Jake Hunter on Sunday, we didn't really touch on his start, but as a freshman, I thought he pitched really well, four quality innings. And even the run he gave up, that was really three soft singles in a row. So he induced a lot of weak contact. And I I think there's some things to build off here. It's just the inability to get a win or two on the board is what leaves you scratching your head after opening weekend. All right, let's get to some of these questions on Twitter from you guys, and we'll do that before we wrap up the show. We'll start first with Clark Tidwell. He says, ECU hasn't started off a season by getting swept, I think, ever. How do we keep of the hope that this year ECU upholds the standards of hosting a regional and that this isn't an off year for the Pirates? Well, first off, ECU has uh, started off getting swept um, a number of times, actually, and it's happened twice under Cliff Godwin. So it has happened before. It happened in Cliff Goblin's first year. The Pirates got swept at home by Virginia in a three-game series, and they ended up making a regional. So um, it's not the end of the world. Granted, that Virginia team, I think, ended up winning the national championship or at least was uh, one of the best teams nationally. But that team ended up going 0-3, bouncing back, made a regional before uh, falling in Miami in Cliff Goblin's first regional. And then in 2017, the team got swept to open the year. Granted, it was at Ole Miss. So different situations against national powers that those teams swept ECU on open a weekend. Of course, the 2017 team just never really could recover. They actually bounced back after the sweep with a massive winning streak. And then once they got in the conference play is really when things fell apart for that baseball team um, that particular year as injuries mounted and just nothing seemed to go right. So... I, you know, as far as how does ECU uphold the standard, I mean, I just think they need a win. I think they need a win or two, a couple of good games in a row to build some confidence. I talked about it earlier, but this team has talent. And a lot of it early on, things can be so magnified, it, be, it can become mental. You know, they need more than anything to just go out there and, and win a game 7-2 to or 7-3 to and, and build some confidence. And unfortunately, with the way the schedule is, it's it's – Fortunate and unfortunate because this weekend you have a challenge of going to Campbell and to North Carolina for a three-game series. And then next week you come back and face Duke, Indiana State, Michigan, Maryland. So you're about to have eight consecutive games against regional competition from last year. And so there are no gimmies on the schedule when you really need a win. So the good news is you can really improve your resume right away even after getting swept at home with some wins. The bad news is you're going to have to play your ass off to win these baseball games. So um, the, there's a tough stretch ahead, a lot to prove. A lot can be done, though, to bounce back. So, I, again, I'm not going to panic and say that this year is over and that the Pirates can't host a regional. If they go out and go 3-1 and one this week or even 2-2 two and two and win a road series at UNC, suddenly you feel a lot better uh, about the, the Pirates. So opening weekend, we'll see what happens. I, I think we'll know much more about this team over the next two weeks specifically. All right, uh, next question 
Chris Bray, this isn't really a question, but it's a good statement. Just record you opening a beer. Says enough. Yeah, I mean, that uh, that sums it up. There were some long games this weekend, too, man. I'll tell you what. It was, uh, you know, I think the last two games were close to four hours in length. So, long games. Entertaining games, the last two games, just in terms of being competitive, close games, which was fun. You know, Saturday just about had it all, but obviously would like to cover some ECU wins. All right, Dan wants to know thoughts on a guy that hit 200 last year in the five hole, and he's speaking to Ryder Giles. Yeah, there was a lot of discussion about this. Look, Cliff Godwin's always had unorthodox lineups. He likes to have somebody in the middle of the lineup who can bunt, who can, you know, handle the bat. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of it personally, but it's, it's hard to question Cliff Godwin with the success he's had. You know, I would bat Ryder more towards the the bottom of the lineup. I did think he looked better at the plate this weekend in terms of making contact. Again, I talked about it earlier. He made some hard contact just right at people. But the problem is he came up so many times with two outs and runners on that that's not the ideal situation for a guy who's better off bunting or a single hitter. You want somebody who can drive the baseball in that situation. So, um it just, I don't know, it is what it is. I personally would like to see him lower in the order. I feel like that's a better spot for him. But it's Cliff Goblin's team. He's batted Lane Hoover, Turner Brown, clean up in the past, and it's found a way to work. So uh, the issue is right now, nobody in the middle of the order outside, outside of Makarevich is really hitting the baseball. So I'm not going to sit here and say it's all Ryder Giles' fault because it isn't. Uh, you still need your three-hole hitter, Josh Moyland, or whoever's hitting five and six to to drive the baseball as well so uh i i do agree that you know i would like to see Ryder at towards the bottom of the order i just feel like that's a better fit for his skill set but again that's the head coach's call at the end of the day and if he feels that's what's best for his team then he's going to do that so we'll see we'll see if there's any adjustment to that going forward um for ecu all right uh toby says now that coach said carson won't pitch this week is there concern that he could miss a significant portion of the season for breaking of this team rule and how do we know what rule was broken so we hit on this earlier there's all sorts of rumors out there for um as to what's going on with carson wisenhunt you know my hunch is he's going to be out a while might be out the entire season a lot of information out there we touched on it about a failed drug test uh the fact that he was taken out of the team intro video was not anywhere at the field over the last uh, few days during the games, I think says a lot. But, you know, there, there's just a lot of unconfirmed rumors right now is the best way to put it. So usually where there's a lot of smoke, there's fire. But I'm not going to go out there and say, here's what 100% happened, because I honestly don't know. You know, I've, I've asked about every source possible. No one seems to really know 100%. Hey, here's exactly what happened. Here's exactly why Carson Wisenhunt is out. And so, yeah, I don't have a problem saying here's what the rumor is like we talked about earlier in the show, but as a reporter, I can't 100% say here's why he's out or here's why he'll be back. You know, we're hearing that there's a good chance he's done for the year. So either way, if I'm ECU and I'm the the players on the team, you have to find a way to move forward like you're not going to have Carson Wisnott. And if he comes back, great. You know, it ends up being an added bonus to the team. But, you know, I'm under the assumption right now this is a team without Carson Wisnott. And the faster ECU can move forward and the fan base can move forward without him, uh, I think, you know, we can accept kind of how the season is going to play out. But that's just the vibe I'm getting right now. Again, I'm not confirmed it one way or the other. 
Cliff Godwin has not wanted to go into more details on why he's out other than he violated a team rule and will not pitch this weekend or this past weekend. So we can only take him at his word until we get official confirmation. So I get the vibe. There's still some things going on behind the scenes in terms of what the infraction was and in terms of how it's playing out. If it's a failed drug test like we talked about, there's probably an appeals process, and so they wouldn't make a comment on that until something's official one way or the other with the NCAA. If it's something entirely different, then all these rumors are wrong, and uh, it'll be proven true over time as to what he really did. It'll come out eventually. At this time, we can only report what we know is fact, and the fact is Carson Wizenhunt is still suspended from the team in terms of playing games. And he will be unavailable at least for the first seven games of the year based on what Cliff Goblin has told us directly. So I wish I had exact clarity. You know, you can read about all the rumors, all that stuff. Uh, we can talk about them, but there's nothing I can confirm or report 100% this time. All right, uh, Daniel asks, obviously lo- lost a really talented group from last year. Assuming Wisenhunt isn't back this season, is there enough talent here to make up for Connor Norby, Francisco, and Gavin? You know, I think yes, but a lot of it has to emerge quickly, and a lot of it has to get better throughout the season. You know, so many times under Cliff Goblin, we've seen teams peak midseason and then maybe not play their best down the down the stretch. Um, I think maybe this is the year they start slow, and you have so much youth and inexperience. Maybe they gel midseason and peak down the stretch. I think that's a viable possibility. You know, you look at a guy like Josh Groves. Granted, it was only one inning on Sunday, but he's a guy that I think can eventually become a Friday night starter. He's got the stuff to do so, but he's got to get the mentality, got to get the confidence, got to get the repetitions in that role, and he's got to get healthy. He had some arm soreness in the preseason. Look at Merritt Beaker, lefty freshman starter. Really good stuff, really high upside. Skylar Books has shut down stuff from a physical perspective at the back end of the bullpen. Hard fastball, 92 to 94, wipeout breaking ball. So, you know, you've got a lot of pieces. It's just can guys handle the moment? Can they fulfill their potential? And that's something that's just going to have to be worked out throughout the season. You know, I'm, I'm, I think there's more upside right now on the mound than at the plate. I think they've got – I think some of their best hitters are also younger. I think McChrystal has a chance to be a really good hitter. He's just refining some things right now. Um, you've got some young infielders who can hit the baseball but don't have the experience of a Giles or an Agnos outfield-wise. You've got some guys who still have some things to learn. So I just don't think this is going to be as offensively driven a team as it was last year no matter what happens, but I think they can make up the difference on the mound in terms of numbers. Unfortunately, there are just going to be some growing pains, and it might take the entire season. It might take just a few weeks. That's just something we'll have to see. Every team is different. I think they can make up the difference, but it's going to have to be in different ways. All right, NC Pirate 13, he asks, what the hell is going on in the locker room? There's got to be some sort of drama because these guys aren't playing for each other and it's painful to watch. Well, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, NC um, Pirate 13. I, I saw plenty of emotion this weekend on the field after big strikeouts, after even runs scored celebrating with teammates, picking each other up. I didn't see any guys who weren't playing for each other. You know, it's easy to say that when they go out there and lose and get swept. What is there to cheer about when you're not scoring runs, when you're striking out with runners on third or popping out with the bases loaded? I mean, 
So, uh, you know, the, the reality is there's probably some conversations going on behind closed doors regarding the wisdom hunt situation because that's just, you know, that's human nature. That's going to happen. Uh, you have your star player suspended. People are going to talk about it. Even if they're not talking about it publicly, they're talking about it behind closed doors or they're talking about it in the locker room when the coaches aren't around or whatever. So, you know, that's natural. Maybe that had a lingering cloud effect this past weekend. But as far as the on-field play, I don't think anybody's out there when they're on the mound thinking about how Carson Wisenhunt isn't there in the you know at the box thinking about how Carson Wisenhunt isn't there. I think it's just more these guys need to experience that big hit, that big momentum-changing moment. And unfortunately, Wilcoxon may have provided it on Saturday only to see it get taken away. So uh, this team isn't catching many breaks right now. They're going to have to find a way to make their own breaks because clearly they're, they're facing some adversity early. And there's two ways this thing can go. You can either respond to it positively and become a stronger team as a result of everything that's going on, or it could cripple them for the entire season and they may not recover. You know, that's something that only time will tell. We only have three games to go off of right now, which is next to nothing in a 56-game season. But I don't think there's any locker room problems amongst the players that are still on the team. You know, whether Wisenhunt's potential return or not could potentially fracture the team, that's, you know, that's something I don't have enough information to comment on one way or the other right now. And that's up to Cliff Galvin to decide what to do with Carson Wisenhunt when the time comes to make a decision. So that's all we know at this time. All right, well, that'll do it for the Hoisted Colors podcast. Again, answered all you guys' questions. The week ahead, we've got Campbell on Tuesday at 5 o'clock. Again, regional team from a year ago. The Campbells lost 2-3, to three, surprisingly, at home to Appalachian State, but that'll be a big game for both ECU and Campbell looking to bounce back on Tuesday at 5 o'clock on ESPN+. And then this weekend, big three-game series, the first two games on Friday and Saturday in Chapel Hill as ECU travels to North Carolina and then back to Greenville on Sunday at 4 p.m. in Clark LeClaire Stadium. So four games against regional caliber competition in the days ahead. So opportunity for the Pirates to bounce back. We'll see how they respond. And we'll be back with you next week, if not before then, with another edition of the Voice of Colors podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. Hopefully we have some Pirate wins to talk about when I join you guys next.